This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hello, dreamers, and welcome to The Dreamer's Disease with myself, Alex Manzi. And this is the podcast where we aim to inspire you to become the best version of yourself through hearing the stories of inspirational people who are out in the world and following their passions and dreams. Because I believe it's the disease of dreaming and not taking action that causes us to live unhappy lives. So we try to gain some wisdom and motivation and some nuggets of information from each guest that we can apply to our day-to-day lives. So on this week's episode, it's a very special one as it's the live interview I did with Chidera, aka The Slumflower, at the London Podcast Festival. And I know some of you guys were disappointed that you couldn't make the show on the night. So it's only right that I brought you the audio and it was great to have a live audience there because we got some Q&A in during the interview and we also managed to speak about lots of different topics from mental health to why Chidera has just started going to therapy to the release of her book What a Time to Be Alone. She also shared some thoughts on parenting which were really really interesting and also dealing with imposter syndrome and, and what that is. So before we jump in and hear this episode and this amazing chat I want to thank you for listening. If you're new to the podcast do make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever app it is you're listening to and if you like what you hear then be sure to leave a review also and if you want some daily motivation and inspiration then be sure to follow the instagram account the underscore dreamers disease but for now let's jump straight in and hear chadira's story I don't think you guys probably heard me there. I said award-winning blogger <laughs> and best-selling author. Can we make some noise for Chidera? Thank you. Thank you. So Chidi, welcome. Thanks Again. for having me. No, this is so cool. I know you're super busy, so I appreciate the time out. You're busy your too, so diary. I appreciate you having me. Always. <laughs> um, so, funny story about me and Chidera is we first met about a year ago, literally just over a year ago, when I first interviewed her on the podcast. And we literally never met. We sat down, we connected, we got on so well. And we spoke about so much in that episode, which I think was about episode 12. And it was so long ago in the kind of podcast terms. I wasn't even filming them. I was still editing it myself. I was like, it was crazy. I still had a proper job. (laughs) Um, So yeah, a lot has changed for me in that year. And a lot has happened for Chidira in that year. So what I want to do is kind of recap a bit on what has happened and the things that kind of we've both been doing uh, and also talk about your journey up until that point. Yes. So starting with the books, two books, not just one book, because that's not enough, two <laughs> books. Um, so can you tell us first of all about what a time to be alone and the kind of amazing process of writing it, putting it out and kind of everything that was involved for you? Yes. So. Basically, this year, I'm just dropping books like mixtapes, because <laughs> why not? Um, but my first book is called What a Time to Be Alone. And the reason why it's got that title is because I was playing on the phrase, what a time to be alive, which is basically something you say when you're referring to how nuts life is. So it could either be a really positive thing or a negative thing or something neutral. But essentially, what you're saying is, raw life is really mad out here. And so with What a Time to Be Alone, that phrase is essentially observing the complexities of solitude and really attacking the fear of being alone because raise your hand if you have a fear of dying alone that's a lot of hands yeah same same and the reason why that we have that fear is because of conditioning we have been convinced to believe that our job is to seek companionship and that if you're not in a relationship or if you're not married or if someone isn't declaring their undying love for you on a daily basis then you've basically failed at humanity and you're not good enough and you're seen as unwanted goods 
And so I really wanted to challenge that way of thinking and actually allow people to understand that even if you are in a relationship, you can also still feel alone because feeling alone often is about feeling misunderstood. So the aim of What A Time To Be Alone is to allow people to understand that you're not alone in feeling alone, but also the weird things about you that you think are weird or those things about you that make you feel like no one ever is going to get it are feelings that other people have out there. So it's always nice to see that someone else is articulating emotions or ways of being that you know you have, but you don't really know how to phrase properly. And so What A Time To Be Alone essentially encourages you to feel like you have someone in your life who is reminding you that you're definitely a mess, but you're doing, you're doing well, you're trying. Because everybody in this room is a mess, including me, including Alex, all a mess. And it's okay to recognize that because yes. nobody is perfect, but Nobody is perfect, but we're all trying. And that's the message that I aim to deliver through that book. Um, with my second book, which is called Scribble Yourself Feminist, um, that is a children's book. And it's aimed at young thinkers around the age of 12 and up. And it's all about, again, introducing children to the conversation regarding human rights, because feminism is a human rights issue. It's not just a thing for girls why it's important to have that discussion with children as soon as possible is because we don't realize that conditioning starts as early as you're able to understand a sentence and if we don't start to tackle that from as early as possible it means that we're only replicating and repeating damaging ideas that will essentially form the handwriting of society and so through this fun book where you can color pages in rip pages out do fun word searches and be able to see really cool and cute quotes from people like Chimamanda and Oprah and all the other iconic women in history, it will allow young people to be able to understand that their voices are really, really important and that even if the grown-ups in your life aren't listening to you because they say that you're a child, there is someone in the world who's telling you that your message is incredibly important. So essentially, through writing books, my aim is to allow people to not just not necessarily take their power back but recognize their power first of all before thinking about taking it back amazing that was like a full-on pr like, <laughs> sell, like <if> thank <laughs> you <laughs> you practice that in front of the mirror before <laughs> no i've done i've done so many interviews where i just i've got like an automated yeah. answer now <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. It was amazing. I think, Thank like, you. for anyone who hasn't already got either of the books or one of the books, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for anyone, but they probably want to be interested in buying it now. Um, well, it's available in all, you know, good bookstores, Foils, Waterstones, and Amazon as well, if you're yeah. interested. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, one thing I want to ask, right, is so that when we first spoke on the podcast, the, yeah. the book, What well, Time to Be Alone, was just an idea. Mm -hmm. It so, was a mere concept. Exactly. So in that year, from then to release, like, what work have you had to put into it not just the writing but everything that kind of comes with it so my introduction to publishing slash the literary world was very very unconventional in the sense that my publisher oh someone's phone is really going off there my <laughs> publisher um actually approached me uh, my literary agent sorry my literary agent actually approached me so for those who don't know a literary agent is someone that essentially looks after you as an author make sure your book is sent out to various publishers handles all your PR and stuff like that that's book related and so they found me through Twitter Twitter because I was always tweeting things like I really want to write a book and then like 800 people would favor it and they'll be like oh onto something here um, or 
I would make, I would deliberately make polls. You know how you can make polls on Twitter? So I'd make polls and I'd be like, should I write a book? And then I'd be like, yes, no. <laughs> yes, yes. And then about 87% of people would say yes. And then the remaining number would say no, um, whatever their reasons are. Anyway. <laughs> And so then through me doing that, I knew that Twitter is a really cool platform that will allow you to um, generate loads of data and get an insight into what your audience want from you. So I, I always had a long-term plan. I knew that if I create things like polls and if the numbers are visible, then it means that eventually when I do want to approach a publisher, because my plan was to approach, approach a publisher, eventually when I do want to approach a publisher, I'll be able to show them the numbers as well and be able to justify why this idea deserves to live in the world. But luckily for me, not even luckily because I worked for it, conveniently for me, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to separate myself from this concept of luck because if you worked for it, how can you be lucky? But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. Create your own luck. Exactly. Um, so uh, what worked in my favour was that my literary agent came across a tweet where I had posted four screenshots of the preview pages I'd made of the book in Adobe InDesign and it got loads and loads and loads of engagement. So many people were like, this needs to be a book. I love this idea. I love how it's been laid out. This is so exciting and fresh and new and the message is wonderful. And so they sent me a Twitter DM and they were like, do you want to come for a meeting? So I was like, I don't know what a literary agent is. I'm rolling that meeting anyway. So I, I arrived so unprepared. I didn't even know what they were going to talk about. But I was like, let's just see, you know, you never know. And so I go to this meeting and they're like, this is really incredible. And we've already been speaking to some publishers about it and there's quite a bit quite a bit of interest and I'm like okay so this is about to get real then and then what they got me to do was just make a proposal and so how a proposal works is essentially you need to write like a, a, a short snippet maybe like 500 to 800 words of you know what the book is going to consist of but because I have studied fashion design and one of my modules was me having to create a rationale that essentially justified why my brand would exist I went really, really above and beyond with this, with this proposal. I did a whole character profile on who my quintessential reader would be. I was like, you know, she hangs out in Ace Hotel. This is out of time. She hangs out in Ace Hotel. You know, she's <laughs> vegan. She follows all these cute Instagram wellness accounts. You know, she's got Rupi Kaur's The Sun and Her Flowers, and she likes Yersa Daily Ward. So I did a whole character profile. And then I also did this thing where I imagined if my book was sitting on Amazon and someone bought it, what other authors would, would come up in the recommended section? And this might sound really meticulous and like, why are you doing so much? But the thing is, in any, pro any kind of product you're creating, you've got to literally visualize what its life would look like. And so me doing that was me doing the hard bit for my literary agent or my publishers, because then when they had seen that I already know who my audience are, there was, it was kind of a no-brainer for them to then actually figure out why this book needs to exist. And so they sent it out to about 14 publishers. Um, 10 said no. 10 were like, mm, the book is coloured, so that means it's going to be very expensive to print. If this book is not a cookbook or a celebrity book, I don't know why it's in colour, because it's going to cost us so much money. Um, another response that I got was that my profile at the time wasn't large enough. Um, so they didn't think it was going to do well, based on how expensive it would be to print it. Um, so basically, it wasn't looking too good, but I was like, anyway, I really know it's a sick idea, and it's not me you're doing it, it's yourself you're doing it, it's not me. So then the remaining four, 
that were interested. Um, again, their issue was just with costing because it's really, really expensive to print a hardback coloured book. And I was super particular. I was like, this is not going to be black and white. This is going to be in colour. I don't care if I get a smaller advance. This is going to be in colour because I said so. And so then, <laughs> listen, in anything you're creating, you've got to put your foot down. You have to because the more people uh, modify your idea and the more people try to convince you that it's not going to work, the further away from yourself you are becoming because you're releasing something that by the time it enters the world, it's not even you anymore. And for me, I'm not in a hurry to write a book. People approached me to write it. So I was like, I'm going to have fun with this process, but also I'm going to have calculated fun. So I'm not going to get carried away. I still know what I want, but I'm also going to have fun with this and be as in control as possible because it's my idea and it's my book. And if I'm selling the rights to this, then I might as well actually have as much of me in there as possible. And so um, the, eventually the publisher that just decided to sign it on, um, buy the rights to it, was really, really, really up my street. The books that I'd seen on their roster were all very, very fun and exciting and heavily visual. So I was like, this is the right place for my book to sit. And so for me, I didn't even have to do that much when it came to you know, the marketing of it because all I had to do was just... <laughs> all I had to do was continue pushing out my message, but at the end of my message, just reminding people, by the way, if you want to hear more about this, just buy the book, that's it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to force it. And I think that's the thing with you know, any kind of product you're releasing, if people know you for a particular message, then that means that they are already going to know what to expect from you if you release a product, and you should not have to force it if that product is in line with who you already are. So if that product is as true to you as possible, then of course you won't have to force it. So for me, it was very, very effortless, and I knew the book was going to do well. I was not stressing about any kind of you know, doing too much with the book. I was like, listen, it's my message. And I know that the people that have asked me and supported me through the process of writing this know that they can trust me with myself and that they can trust me with my message. But also, I know that my message can grow and evolve and take form beyond my own hands because I'm using the internet, which is a very exciting tool that back in the day when it came to publishing, they didn't really have the internet. So it had to be a lot of putting up posters and you know, getting people on radio shows. But for me, it became about taking, using my own platform and allowing these radio shows and other platforms that are just as important, but realizing that I still have my own platform so I don't have to rely on them. And that's why it worked for me. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I feel, I feel like this is going to be a thing. But you just clap. <laughs> just clap. You talk, we clap. Um, but do you, know, do you know what I love is that um, the, the whole process you went through of like breaking down the audience and then mm -hmm. exactly what you wanted from it. I went through a very similar thing with the podcast in terms of like I knew who I wanted to create it for. What I had like the logo, the branding, everything the name, everything set up and ready before I'd even had the equipment and mm -hmm. started recording. <laughs> I knew what, what I wanted it to be and it's obviously developed. But I'm glad you did go through that process because the book itself is amazing. The fact that it's in colour and it's, just, it's like, it, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's just full of colour, it's full of life. It's basically Chidera in pages Literally. and it's just like amazing. It's full of like African proverbs. It's full of just wisdom. Like I was flicking through it and reading it the other day and every page is literally just an amazing like affirmation or something and I tweeted one thank you and I posted one on my story the other day it was like it doesn't get better you, you do, do yeah it's just full of like nuggets of wisdom like that and it's thank you it's an amazing read and I'm glad that that product is out in the world yeah people to enjoy mm -hmm. sick. thank um, you very much it's good, it's all good. <laughs> but like when you were writing it as I said you, you can clap for me it's not like against the rules <laughs> 
Um, but what I want to know is like when you were like through the writing process, yeah. did you already like obviously like I said, there's a lot of African proverbs in there from from your mom and whoever, but like how much of it did you have to go to the drawing boards and start writing from scratch or where you go because I remember we had a very early conversation where you were like I'm going to go through my previous tweets and mm -hmm. like my most popular ones and kind of expand on them so how much of that process was involved so for those who don't know I'm a very angsty person there's always a reason for me to be annoyed and I thought that you know by the time I get to 23 I would have grown out of that but apparently you don't stop being angsty when you are someone who's aware of the layers of you know, systemic oppression that exists in the world um, affects you. And so it means that there's always something to be, you know, frustrated about because you can't change it by yourself. And so my Twitter page is essentially just like a page full of articulate venting. It's really funny. I used to scroll back and look at the old thoughts I'd put out there. And I'd be like, wow, you was going through it, babe. I don't know what you were doing, but there was a lot happening. But why I chose to use my Twitter page as almost like a pro forma to use to write the book was because sometimes in life, right, when you, when you find yourself in a better place emotionally and mentally and even spiritually as well, you forget how you used to feel. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but it often means that it's harder for you to relate to people who are where you used to be because you're now disconnected from that feeling. But... For me, I really wanted What A Time To Be Alone to connect with people who have been where I've been or people who are where I've been because you can't expect everybody to be in the same place you are emotionally. Some people are you know, where you've evolved from and that's just as okay because you are currently in the position where someone else used to be as well. So it's just about recognizing where you are but understanding that there's always gonna be someone who has it better than you and harder than you and being able to connect to both people. Where was that place that you were? But when I was writing the book. Yeah, what was that? Oh, place? the place I was referring to. Yeah. So the old place I was referring to was me being someone who felt extremely misunderstood. Uh, I used to be in a creative collective and it was full of guys. And I always felt like I wasn't being listened to. I felt inferior because anytime I would voice a concern or even try to contribute to a debate, it would just be spoken over or just brushed to the side. and. For me, that was a position that I contributed to placing myself in because you find that situations that you, you realize that you're trapped in are because they're familiar to you from you know, maybe your childhood in some way or another. So in my case, the grown-ups in my life when I was a child didn't really listen to me when I'd voice my emotions that you know, required an apology. They never apologized to me and I, they made me feel emotionally inferior. So it meant that as I got older, I would find myself in scenarios where I felt emotionally inferior because it felt familiar and so I thought that was how it's supposed to look, that's how it was meant to be. I never questioned it, I would just be frustrated but I'd never try to change it because I thought that's just life, isn't it? You just learn to adapt but no, you should never have to adapt to something that, that intends to hurt you. And so um, during that period when I was in that collective, I would vent a lot on my Twitter and people relate to it loads and so it will generate loads of retweets and faves and you know all the engagement. So what I did was now that I'm in a better place, I know I don't feel like that anymore, but I still wanted to be able to go back to those feelings. The only way for me to do that was to go and literally trawl through my Twitter and find those tweets that stood out to me where I was really going through it and try to take myself back to where I was emotionally and write from that place. And that's why with what a time to be alone I was able to cover 
so many aspects of the emotional spectrum and the journey of going from you know healing and feeling like you're growing out of it and getting closer to your truer self to relapsing and feeling like you've you know undone all your hard efforts and you've maybe reached out to someone who who you've swore you know you swore you'd never reach out to again but all these things are part of the process and i had to learn to honor that and so if I didn't refer to my Twitter page as you know, a tool to use to remember who I used to be, then it wouldn't have been as easy for me to write the book because I would only be writing from the place I'm at now, which would still be useful and helpful, but it would be, it would be more of me talking at people rather than talking to people at the place that they are. Mm. And so you mentioned like relapsing and all that kind of stuff. So how did you learn to deal with the relapses? Because like, I know through my life I've sort of gone up and down in terms of like levels of anxiety and, mm -hmm. and what have you and kind of had like really dark days, really good days and it's like a constant ebb and flow mm -hmm. and it's always when you're in, in the harder days and the dark days where you kind of really feel up against it and you feel like oh I've gone backwards and yeah. etc. So what, what things have you had to do to kind of break through that or you know to get yourself back on, on top and in, in good form? I think for me it's important to recognize that you're never in a constant state of being your higher or better self. It means as well that anytime I do feel like I'm relapsing emotionally, I have to give myself room to observe why. And so in my case, what relapsing emotionally looks like to me or looks like when it's happening to me is that I start to say things to myself like it was your fault or you've let yourself down, you knew better and you still find yourself in that situation. And so that's the niggling voice in my head that I hear telling me that I should have done better. But then how I challenge that voice is recognizing that even if I feel like I let myself down, what I need to also understand is that that person let me down as well. Because for me to be in a situation where I thought I felt safe and I thought I felt comfortable, it meant that that person created a certain set of expectations based on a positive pattern of behavior. So of course I would trust that rather than trying to you know, decipher every single thing and question things until I'm running in a circle on myself. And so I can't be angry at myself for choosing to trust and see the humanity in someone. All I can do is recognize that that person hasn't lived up to an expectation they've created and it's up to them to recognize the faults in their own behavior. And it's not my job to try and chase them up on that. And it's not my job to orchestrate how their life turns out in response to them creating negativity in my life. It's only my job to recognize the part that I played in that situation. And sometimes it's not even a huge part. Sometimes the part you play is overlooking certain behaviors that you know are a flag. Um, and so I guess when it comes to relapsing, I'm learning that it doesn't mean that you failed or that you've undone your work. It just means that it's a chance for you to see that you were right and that you've got to find a lot of strength to re-implement re that lesson in your life and trust that that lesson will do you a favor rather than thinking that going back to where you came from is better than going forward and trying to meet this better version of yourself that is very far away but is so worth that journey. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love the how you were talking about the kind of journey of you know, the self-improvement and, and all those kind of things and self-awareness and, you know, recognizing when you are in those moments and accepting it. And, you know, I have lots of conversations with people where I'm talking about to them, you know, okay, you might be going through these bad days, but mm -hmm. the more you kind of fight against it, the more damage you end up doing to yourself. Because it's like, if I push you, you're gonna, your natural instincts to push me back, <laughs> right? But if you just like let it go and just get on with it, 
it will pass. And it's like, we do that with our emotions <laughs> and our feelings is we try and fight them mm -hmm. rather than actually recognizing what it is and kind of accepting, okay, this is what I'm feeling. How can I deal with it? How can I move on with it? Instead of like having that constant kind of friction. Right? Yeah. And one thing that I've, I've always kind of tried to incorporate is a kind of self-care routine. And obviously meditation. What's self-care routine, Self-care routine. So one of the things is meditation, which as I said at the beginning, I do like every day. Um, exercising really helps. Reading, uh, affirmations, like reading like affirmations to myself out loud. Um, various other things, but lots of different things that I try and do every day that I know are gonna kind of help me in turn. Like, do you have stuff that you do when you are in those moments or, you know, on every day that's a kind of like mini self-care routine or anything like that that you carry out? Um, so <clears throat> I have two aspects of my self-care practice. Number one is like I don't bother arguing with people anymore. Um, if I say what I said, I've said it, and if you don't like it, then you're more than welcome to go and argue with your mum. And what I'm not going to do... <laughs> because the thing is, if I'm talking about my experience on my page and someone just lands up and says, I disagree, well, congratulations on exercising your opinion. I can't help you on that. Because you find that when, because you, you see that on, on the internet, when people do land with a lot of I disagree and wah, it's never to have a discussion. It's never to you know, engage with you and understand why you think in that way with the hopes that they can maybe encourage you to think closer to how they think. It's more about them arriving into the argument with an already solidly formed opinion and they're not gonna try and engage with you. They've already said what they've said as well. So it means that it's just two people clanging their knives at each other. I'm not here to do that. That's not what I bought my data to do. Um, I've got better things to do with my time. So if I'm, because in the same way, it's like if two people are sat on the bus in front of you and they're having a conversation, you're not gonna tap one of the per people on the shoulder and be like, excuse me, I disagree. You're not gonna do that. <laughs> what you're gonna do is what? You're gonna sit and wait until it's your stop to get off and mind your damn business. And that's something we should try and practice on the internet as well because it's still intrusive and boundaries still exist. Just because we're a bunch of floating pixels doesn't mean that you, know, you, don't, you don't need to respect that it's not your job to change people's minds. And of course, there will be certain instances where it is really important to speak up for someone. If someone is being abused and there is a clear um, imbalance in the power dynamic, then you've got to speak up for them. But if someone is saying, I think tea is not nice, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're problematic. <laughs> How could you say that? People are dying. I'm like, Okay, um, so that's self-care practice number one, not arguing with people who are committed to misunderstanding you. Number two is um, my best friend, he's really, really, really incredible. Um, he makes so much room for me as a person to constantly check in with me and give me room to vent and allow me to treat our friendship as a safe space. And that's really important for me because as much as I do go to therapy, I'm really conscious of not treating my friendships like therapy because it's just not cool to do that. And sometimes people just don't have the emotional bandwidth to, to deal with the things that you're arriving with. But having said that, it's really, really, really important to have friends that you can turn to and be like, do you know what, I've had a really, really annoying day today. This happened. And then they're like asking you, you know when someone's asking questions, you can tell they're asking because they're genuinely interested. And that means a lot, especially when you've had a day of maybe feeling invisible or feeling overlooked. Um, so that matters a lot to me and I think through my relationship with my best friend I'm able to learn the importance of protecting relationships and also learning that it's not always a good idea to just cut people off because just because you want to. That's something that I used to do. I used to be very enthusiastic about just cutting people off and for a while it worked. I'm not going to lie, it worked for a while but the thing is when you cut people off it 
also means you don't have to be accountable of the role you played in that situation. Because if you think about it, once they're gone, you can be like, yeah, they were just annoying, they were terrible, they did this to me, gone. But before cutting the person off, you still need to recognise, again, you need to recognise the role that you played in that situation. Whether it was a tiny role or whether it was a significant role, you still have to recognise that before you make that decision. And that is what allows you to actually make a move with a lesson guaranteed. And I think with me and him, we've had so many fights. And why I'm really proud that we've had so many fights is because you can often see someone's character or even notice their development as a person through how they handle disagreements or how they handle um, being put on the spot. And that for me has been very, very character building because I tend to be very, very standoffish in disagreements and that's something I'm learning to stop doing because not every disagreement is a fight and some people don't understand that and that's something that I'm learning to remind myself of. Just because someone disagrees with you or just because someone is observing um, a harmful characteristic in you doesn't mean that they hate you and that you need to just punch them. <laughs> As I said, just the two. Just the two. It's great. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and so how long have you been having therapy for? Uh, two and a half months. And why I chose to start was because I'm in a position where if I want to get myself, you know, like a new pair of trainers or something, I can get it for myself. But then if I think about how much I spend on like Boohoo and Misguided, I'm like, that's therapy money, oh my goodness. <laughs> the average session costs about 50 pounds, 40 to 50 pounds um, per session. Sounds expensive, but when you think about it, it means, it means a lot because as much as I'm all about putting your money where your mouth is and all these things, I'm also about putting your money where your mind is. I really need to look after my mind because if I'm doing all these things, like you know, trying to replace cow's milk with oat milk because I'm like, yay, cute, and you know, not drinking hormones, <laughs> then how am I treating... How am I treating my mind? How am I honoring the fact that I am a messy individual and that me choosing to seek help is an act of, it's a radical act in itself because the world doesn't want you to seek help. The world doesn't want you to be better. The world wants you to settle and, and rely on the government, which will keep you in debt, which will keep you um, in a position where you just, you just don't know how to evolve beyond limitations. And so with therapy, what I do is that I use it as an opportunity to try to access the parts of myself that I can't reach through talking to my friends. So I use it as a chance to try to understand what the child version of me that lives in me needs, because every single person has like a four-year-old version of them living in them. And that's a child that has very basic but important needs, and those needs need to be met. If you think about it, if a child is like tugging at your trousers saying they really want to drink water, you're not going to be like, move up my face, bruv. You're going to be like, oh, you want water? Let me get you some water. Do you, feel, do you feel better now? You're going to treat them with respect because they're fragile and they're small. But then why do we not treat our grown selves with that respect? It's because we feel like because we are adults, then we are less deserving of gentleness and kindness and care. And so when I find myself being really, really brutal to myself, I try to think, if I told a four-year-old that she looks clapped and that she needs to change her outfit. That's not a very nice thing to do. So then if I say that to myself, then I need to remember that there's a four-year-old living in me and I shouldn't talk to her anyhow. And so that's one of the ways that I'm learning to reprogram the way I communicate with myself. But also I'm trying to really dig into and understand the relationship I have with my parents because we all have to understand that the grown-ups in our lives are also broken people and that they don't just arrive perfect in our lives when we meet them for the first time when we leap out of the womb because 
nobody has it figured out and our parents, if you look at a generation that they were born into, they didn't have access to the resources we have now that allow us to even, you know, have these conversations or, you know, attend really great podcasts or have access to these really cool books that are, you know, about self-care and self-help and human psychology. They, they never really had that kind of access, so it meant that they were going according to how they were raised. But then if you look at the times that their parents were raising them in, it was all about survival and there were less conversations to do with, you know, the diversity of humanity and, you know, delving into to the emotional spectrum there was less of that so it meant that they were raising us with you know fear and other damaging aspects that they just thought were culture and normal and tradition and so for me I'm trying to really really delve into all the things my parents have taught me that are culture and tradition and normal and ask myself why and challenge those beliefs and try to strip myself away from the version of myself that they've created and try to understand who I truly am because my parents aren't going to be here forever and it's something that I have to accept so I need to be able to figure out who I am when my parents aren't telling me who I am because it's not my job to be a shadow of them or an extension of them it's my job to be myself and they're just my earth guardians that's yeah, true sorry parents if there's any in the room <laughs> thank you so have you, have you found your relationship with your parents changing then through you know, all these things that you're kind of discovering during therapy? Oh my gosh, nobody prepares you for the kind of change in dynamic you're going to have with your parents when you start making your own money in an unconventional way or when you start to go to things like therapy or when you start reading up on stuff by yourself and you start to challenge them because parents get really, really, really flustered and they start to become quite defensive and closed off. And so it means that often the cost of becoming your 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 greater or truer self is the relationship you have with your parents if your parents are in a position where they haven't been able to observe themselves or they're too afraid to observe themselves so for me in my case my relationship with my mom is extremely fragile because I'm her only daughter amongst you know her two other sons and so she sees me as an extension of herself and so she wants me to live up to all these ideas that she has and so anytime I express autonomy, it makes her feel threatened. And how she responds to that feeling is taking it out on me um, by, you know, minimizing my feelings and trying to use emotional tactics to control me. And as much as she's still a loving mother, and as much as our parents are somewhere, somewhere in there have great intentions, at the same time, it's not a bad thing to recognize that there are negative traits that they keep on using that have shaped you. And those negative traits definitely influence the way you move through relationships and the way you handle your place in the world. And the more I'm able to tackle that and understand that even my parents are just people and that nothing they're doing is ultimately because of me, then it means that I'm able to move through the world of less guilt and feeling like a bad child and understanding that if you want to be yourself, then you've got to be willing to cut the cord. Because if you think about it, when a child is born, the cord is cut and it signifies you not, no longer needing to live physically off your mother's um, nutrients that are being fed to you in the womb. In the same way, when you become an adult or whatever kind of grown up you become, you also need to cut that emotional cord. doesn't mean you're cutting them off, but it means that you are showing that you can be emotionally independent and that you're able to make decisions on your own that will allow you to survive. And for people, for parents who are quite attached to you in an emotional way, that's quite terrifying for them because sometimes some parents don't know, they don't know who they are outside of being a parent. And if you remove 
that responsibility from them. It now leaves them with the responsibility of knowing their own self. And that's really, really scary for someone who's like in their 40s to start facing. So they would rather just rest on the laurels of being a parent rather than actually realizing my child is their own person and I'm my own person. When we're together, I get to be their parent. But then when we're not, I need to still figure out who I am as a person because I'm someone who has a child, but who am I? What are my desires? What do I want from the world? Um, what makes me happy? These are all really important questions and sometimes the grown-ups in our lives are too scared to ask those questions because knowing yourself and figuring out who you are is such a responsibility. Mm, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Told you, you thought we clapped. Um, right, so guys, what I want to do right now is open it up for some Q&A. There should be a roaming mic somewhere around the room. So if anyone's got a question, for me or Chidera, then please stick your hand up and we will answer it. One hand, fantastic, it's a good start. Um, so we've got a hand up just in the middle on the side. Hey girl, how are you going? Hey. Hey. Hi everyone. Um, so I've been following you on social media for a good couple of years and I've really seen your growth and the woman that you've transformed into. Which Thank I really you. Admire. I love what you do. Um, how do you think maneuvering, because you are your own brand, um, how does that work for you? Do you arrange your own life? What Was it a massive transition going from uni to being essentially entrepreneurial? Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that question. So I failed uni. And the reason why I failed uni, it was a three-year degree at London College of Fashion, and it was called Fashion Design and Development Degree. And it was basically like a mixture of menswear and women's wear with more of a commercial touch added to it. But I was really uninspired by the course by the time I got to third year. And on top of that, I had like a massive dollop of depression just like sprinkled on top. So I was like, yay, kill me. Because um, when you get to final year, you can't really pull out anymore. You can't really change your mind anymore. <laughs> you can't really change your mind anymore because it's too late, you can't do anything. You have to just move through and finish the course with whatever grade you get. And so um, when I found that this isn't really inspiring me, I realized it's because, first of all, the education system's outdated by about 100 years. So it means that a lot of these courses we're doing don't even have modules, especially the creative courses. They don't really have functional modules on social media and how to build a presence on social media. And that's really important, especially if you're doing any kind of creative course, whether it's graphic design, or whether it's textiles or pattern cutting, or if you want to be a fashion designer, any of those things, you need social media. If you're going to be running a brand or creating a brand, you need social media. You need to have a presence. You can't expect to just have a physical store and then hope that people somehow arrive and the footfall is like in the 100% every week. That's not going to happen. You're competing with you know, other companies and brands who have a presence on the internet. And so it means you have to develop a presence on the internet. But because it's quite a new thing to develop, you know, an online persona or to develop a brand using social media, it means that, you know, lecturers and teachers and people that are, you know, being paid to deliver these courses aren't even equipped. So what happens is you leave the course with all these amazing skills, like being able to, you know, whip up a Macintosh jacket in two hours, or you're able to you know, create or conceptualize a brand from literally the beginning stage to marketing stage all by yourself, but then you don't know how to actually allow that brand to thrive and survive on the internet. They've done you dirty for nine grand a year. 
I will, listen, I owe the government, right now, I owe the government the cost of a brand new Range Rover Sport with a red ribbon on it straight from the showroom. That's 45 plus K. That's why I owe the government. And I cannot tell you one thing that course has done for me now, because even if I got a first in that course, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing now. And so I found that failing uni was such a great thing for me because my mum was absolutely mortified and she took it so personally. She was probably making it about her, as they do. She was like, oh my gosh, like, you've let me down. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. I'm like, girl, I'm not even embarrassed. I don't know why you're embarrassed, because I'm good. <laughs> but because she, she didn't understand that. I was like, mom, don't worry. I promise you, don't worry. Like, I've got some stuff going on. I'm good. Like, I'm getting free clothes. Like, don't worry. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I was getting, you know, the beginning, it was quite early, so I was getting free clothes. And mom, oh my gosh, when I was getting free clothes, right, my mom was thinking, there must be some weird man that's sending me stuff. <laughs> she didn't believe. She didn't believe that I was out here finessing. She didn't know what finessing means. I was like, Mum, I'm finessing, don't worry. She didn't know what that meant. She was just really, really suspicious of me. And so I realised that I'm very mouthy. I'm definitely a troublemaker. And social media is something that allows me to be able to um, hold conversations that will give me room to develop as a person, but also grow an audience at the same time, conveniently for me. And so through me slowly using Twitter and Instagram as a way to find people who feel like me and think like me, it's meant that naturally I've been able to grow an audience. And so with the way that brands are you know, evolving, it means that they want new audiences too. And the only way for them to do that is to align themselves with people who naturally are able to gather those audiences. And that's what an influencer is. Um, so I can be referred to as an influencer. I'm no longer, I'm officially no longer offended by being called an influencer. Um, I used to be quite offended by being called an influencer because I used to feel like influencers are only people that sell tummy tea. And as much as, <laughs> if that's your hustle, then cute, um, even though it's very toxic to sell you know, laxatives to kids. But at the same time, it's still, it's still something that you can't really, you have to still recognize it as a skill in that. And so as much as my kind of influence and the nature of how I do it is completely different to you know, discount codes and all the other things in between that, I still had to recognize that I hold so much value in the world as someone who's able to speak to an audience and get them to respond to me, whether it's emotionally or via comments or via them making purchases off the back of me saying something, that matters a lot. And so through me being able to um, find the pattern in that, and be consistent in what I'm doing, it's allowed me to grow an audience and I guess form a brand in a way. But for me, I don't really, I mean, I can be seen as a brand, but I'm ever shifting and I'm incredibly problematic, like everyone is. And I think it's important that people recognize that. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about trying to be the least possible mess you can be. Just doing your best is what, is what matters in this world. Um, but also, I think what I'm the most proud of in terms of being able to be a successful influencer is that all the things I was made fun of for are the reason that I'm now not having to um, have like a nine to five. Because what happens is when you come through with a new way of thinking, it's met with criticism and friction at first because people are, the, the human mind is just allergic to anything that's new. We, uh, we, all we want is routine and what's familiar. That's how our minds work. But then when someone comes through and they're you know, thinking against the grain and, and they seem to be quite confident in it, the first thing is to attack them. That happens to me a lot. So like I'm really, really seasoned in dealing with being attacked. It's like just part of like, just part of my personal brand is just being dragged. But the thing is, um, what, why it works for me is because I'm able to still find 
find the light in it. And it's a shame because you shouldn't have to find the light in being cyberbullied. But at the same time, if it's happening to you and you're in a position where you can have a conversation about it, then absolutely do it. <laughs> and I think that's why I feel I'm in such a position where I'm constantly evolving and I'm not going away. So if anyone wants me to go away anytime soon, it's not happening because I'm literally able to just evolve and shift with the times. And because that comes from a place where I just completely believe in myself so much. I'm like, I don't understand why I wouldn't believe in myself. I've taken myself this far. That means I can easily go much further. All I have to do is just remind myself of why I'm doing this, the purpose behind the message, who I want this message to reach, and why I think this message is really, really important. And that's what keeps me going personally. And so there isn't necessarily like a magic set of like um, spells you can cast on your life and make it work, or like some sort of, you know, perfect harmonious sequence that you can just follow and things will work for you it comes from realizing that if you want to be successful you have to be very prepared to disappoint people because that disappointment comes from people being threatened by your ability to access a higher version of yourself without their permission and if you're waiting for people to tell you oh it's finally okay to be yourself now you're going absolutely nowhere you're going to be stagnant and unhappy and what you're going to be doing is picking on strangers online because you're stagnant but for me, I've realized that there's just so much of myself I can access. And it's so exciting to be able to live in, an, in a body that creates this experience that's so boundless. And every day is a new opportunity to be able to access all these crevices of myself that I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I was too busy waiting for people to give me permission to actually grow into myself. Thank you. Thank you. You're making my job very easy. This is, this is so good. I'm just like chilling. I feel like the audience. I'm, I'm good. Um, have we got any more questions? We've got one at the front. We've got a couple more. Hello. Um, I'm Rihanna. Hi, Rihanna. Nice to meet you. Um, I've got a question addressed to both of you, really. You're both young and you have huge brands and ideas and you talk with so much passion. And I'm really interested to just know your thoughts on imposter syndrome and how, if you, I'm sure you've been in meetings and you've been faced with people who are like twice your age telling you mm -hmm. how it is. Um, yeah, I'm just interested to know your thoughts on that and how you get over that hump. Uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, so basically, for me, um, I feel like I've had that a lot because I've kind of, so my career path has been very unconventional through like, starting work in a factory to then beginning a music blog to getting um, a job in events and marketing to then getting a job in advertising to then getting a job running social media for one extra Cheats. and <laughs> <laughs> which I've now left um, <laughs> but the whole, the whole the whole way through that I kind of felt like I've never really deserved to be there and it's only really the last kind of two three years where I really started to understand the value that I bring to places and that is through, well, I'm not so young anymore, but through being young, through, you know, having the passion, through understanding social media in particular, the one extra job and everything like that. But now that I've stepped away from that and I've kind of stepped out of the full-time work to do like freelance so that I can focus on building the dreamers disease stuff into this business and this brand that I want it to be, I'm starting to get it back again because I'm like, oh no, do, you know, am I really like, do I know enough to become a coach kind of figure? Do I know enough about this subject? Do I know enough about that? Do I need to do this course, that course? And those questions are kind of going through my mind all the time. But I think the most important thing is what I was saying earlier about accepting and recognizing that 
those those are just thoughts that are there and it's actually what I'm trying to do and the message that I'm trying to promote. <coughs> right, this, this is the most I've spoke all day, so I'm like, oh. um, the, the message that I'm trying to promote is something that I strongly believe in and something that is like really true and something that I've, you know, grown through myself. So I'm speaking from experience and I'm not just speaking because it's like cool to be positive or like do the inspiration thing. It's like I've had to do this in my life myself to kind of get myself to this position. So although it does feel like, oh, I don't know if like, do people really like give a shit about what I talk about online or on the podcast, but the fact there's people here and the fact that people do listen to the podcast is a nice message for that. So I think it's like looking for the little wins within it and looking for like, what's the little win? Like, oh, I might feel like I don't belong here or whatever, but the fact you're there tells you you do belong there in some way. So it's trying to find that small message that is the little positive and really hook onto that rather than like all the negative stuff that's around it. Cause it's, because like misery loves companies, so it's easy to like hang on to the negative stuff because that's like the way our brains are made up. But the more we focus on the positives and look at the, the good aspects and the outlooks, the more you kind of start to then build out from there. And that's kind of what I try to focus on personally. Chile will probably be different, I don't know, or maybe similar. <laughs> the last time I experienced imposter syndrome was actually this morning, funny <laughs> enough. The reason why is because um, I got asked to smash the Harvey Nichols windows really really random but the reason why i got asked to smash harvey nichols legally. window legally i got to damage white property i was like this is a <laughs> <laughs> and i got paid to do it i was like Aah! so the reason why i was invited to do that was because um, there's a commemoration of 100 years since the suffragettes fought for um some women to get the vote and so the reason why I felt like I'm meant to be here is because I was smashing the window alongside the great-granddaughter of the original suffragette who actually smashed the Harvey Nichols window. And I was like, right, like, this is, like, I'm literally a part of history here. <laughs> Am I supposed to be here? It's a bit too early in my life for me to be doing this. But then I was like, hold on a minute. I am where I'm supposed to be because I've worked for this in my life. I am literally resisting all kinds of norms that tell me that I shouldn't exist on a daily basis. And so of course it makes sense for me, a black feminist, to smash the windows of a white owned, of absolutely, of course I should. And so that imposter syndrome comes from this idea that you're not good enough. And that's nothing to do with your skill set. It's to do with your inner voice and how you speak to yourself and how the world has taught you to view yourself. Because if this is about your skill set, then you're never going to feel like you're enough because there's always going to be someone who knows more than you or is more equipped than you. But it's about realising that there's a sequence of work and behaviours that you've put out into the world that have allowed you to arrive here. So like I was saying earlier, like you're not lucky to be there. You worked for it. And just because you can't see that sequence anymore because you're so far into the process doesn't mean that sequence doesn't exist. And so I'm learning to honour the fact that I have put in work and that all the times when I was getting, you know, into situations where I felt like I want to quit because it's becoming too much for me to deal with, I have to now honour the fact that I've chosen to be resilient enough to believe that something great will happen. This is the great thing that's happened. So how can I now finally be in the moment I wanted to be in and still feel like I'm not supposed to be there? That's just such, an, that's such, such a dishonour to all the hard work I've managed to put in. And that's not fair on me. And I have to, anytime I catch myself doing that, I have to stop and be like, no, we talked about this. We're not, I raised you better, we're not doing this today. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, amazing. We've got oh, a few hands up. We've got probably room for like two or three more questions. We have so a guy. Yeah, we'll go here. We'll go to right. We'll go here, then we'll go over there. Oh, we've gone over there. Okay. We'll come next. Hi. Hi. 
So, um, quick question. Um, how do you manage your passion for fashion and creativity whilst developing the business acumen? And the second part is, do you have a mentor as well? How I manage my passion, passion for fashion. The fashion industry hates that term. It's so weird, but I like it. How I manage my passion for fashion and manage to maintain a stable business acumen is understanding that I don't try to force things. So fashion week is coming. I haven't been invited to any show or any kind of after party. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay at home and watch via Insta stories. What I'm not going to do. <laughs> You'll be surprised. People know how to force it. When you force it, yeah, what happens is that you're just devaluing yourself because you shouldn't have to be in a rush to be where you know you're going to be if you work hard enough and you're patient enough to understand that when you're finally there, it's all entirely yours. You didn't have to beg for it or force any of it. So my big thing is not forcing anything. None of this is by force. Like I'm only going to place myself in a position where I know that it benefits my purpose entirely. It's nothing to do with me trying to um, rush myself into being somewhere in order to prove myself. Because it's always the, the whole thing about forcing it is because you're trying to prove something to somebody else who you wish would respect you a little bit more. And I'm trying to move past that in life. So with Fashion Week, that's something that I'm expected to be at because you know it's fashion and this is the industry that I'm in. But if nobody called me, why am I going to be knocking on someone's door and begging them to let me in? That just makes me look really silly because I know that years down the line, or even months down the line, depending on how quickly things evolve, it's not going to look good when that person comes across me in some capacity and then the word is, oh, she was the one that was probably trying to beg to be on the guest list or all these things. When I'm a hard-working person, I don't need to beg to be anywhere. What you're gonna do is when it's time, you're gonna invite me and you're gonna honor me. You're gonna make sure that invite is like, you've got, it's got the wax, the wax stamp on it and everything. It's gonna have all that because I'm supposed to be there and it's an honor for me to be there because I'm gracing you with my value and my presence. That's the way I'm viewing myself. And it allows you to be able to actually move through the world of intention when you're very selective and you're very, very careful and intentional about where you're placing yourself because Sometimes when you're getting yourself caught up in trying to be seen everywhere and trying to look like you are living the life that you want to live, it's actually more of a distraction from your purpose because you're no longer in tune with yourself. You're more in tune with other people who are not even in tune with their own selves. So everyone's just out of tune, running around, being out of tune with, every, with everything. But for me, I'm learning that all of the values in the stillness and the silence. And that's why... I'm not forcing anything with fashion. Now, when it comes to business acumen and maintaining a strategy, I guess, that is um, consistent and has a steady momentum, it comes from me recognizing that this thing that I'm trying to achieve is not something I can achieve overnight. It could take me five or 10 years, but at the same time, I want to be able to really have fun with the process and also allow myself to be 23. So that means that I'm not I can't come and die for this. Like, any time I see myself getting burnt out, I'm like, it's actually not that deep. This, if I decide to just tune out of everything and not bother trying to fix aspects of the world, I'm allowed to do that. Because as someone who is incredibly stressed out all the time by the way the world responds to me, it's absolutely okay for me to choose to not even try, try to change it anymore. I'm actually very, very entitled to just chilling and not being... I'm entitled to chill. It's been 400 years of me not chilling generationally. So I'm actually allowed to relax now if I want to. But it's me choosing, it's me choosing to try to tidy up the world a little bit. And that's something I'm choosing to do. But it also means that I can't come and die for this. 
I can't come and die for the whole journey of being a creative and trying to create this life for myself um, based on my ambitions and desires. And as much as I want to honor those ambitions and dreams and desires, I also need to honor that I'm a human being and that if I want this to work for me, I need to take my time. And for this to be successful, I need to know myself as much as possible through the process. So that often means me moving slower and being able to observe my environment better rather than moving really fast and not being able to actually recognize where I am by the time I arrive because I'm, I've gotten there so quickly that I'm like, I can't remember why I started, but I guess I like it here. And that's the case for a lot of people in the industry. They like it there, but they're not really, they're just kind of like, oh, I've got to maintain this now because I'm here now and it's kind of embarrassing for me to just not maintain this. I want to be every single place I am with intention. So I chose to be here today because I wanted to be here today because Alex is my friend and I think his message is really important. And I feel like the conversations that we have amongst ourselves are so great and so valuable that we need to have that with other people. And so it's not even about anything other than me just creating a moment that has so much value in my life that I know I can put out into the world. This isn't something that's gonna you know, put me in a position where I, I, really, I highly doubt Oprah's gonna be listening and be like, raw, did you hear like, oh, we gotta get her on. Like, it's nothing that's gonna put me in an immediate position where Saying I wanna be. Oprah don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> we've gotta be honest, we've gotta be honest with ourselves, innit? Might. But what I'm trying to, what, you never know. But what I'm trying to say is that like, this, or this, this moment right now is valuable to me because it can't provide me with anything other than me being in the company of people who matter, people who hold similar sentiments. So it's not always about immediate value or what it can always do for you um, and how it can make you look good. Sometimes it's just about being able to find those moments in your journey that will provide you a substance that you can look back on and be like, I'm really glad that I took the time out to do these things that allowed me to have really, really great conversations that would add substance and add value to my life. Mentor, mentor. <laughs> oh, mentor. I don't have a mentor, which is really, really. I've, I've really, I've really been wanting a mentor for time, but I'm like, how do I? Like, how do people do this whole mental thing? You just got someone and be like, hi, I really like the way that you think. Can you like, can you like provide me with insights? But one thing I've learned actually from um, conversations with people that have potentially wanted to mentor me is that if you, could, if it's a question you can Google, don't ask them that because that's not what this is about. Like it needs to be, the relationship needs to be about them being able to remind you of who you are and try to nudge you towards the truest version of yourself. So it's not therapy and it's not Google, but it's just a way that you can be able to see that this is what you could become if you're patient enough of yourself, but also if you're able to forgive yourself properly. And that's something that I'm struggling to find. So. I really hope I'm able to find a mentor this year, but I'm really intentional about who I choose to like, welcome into my life. At the moment, I'm currently my own mentor, which is not always productive, because when you're only hearing one voice, then you're only going to do one thing. Yeah. But Oprah, if you are listening... But Oprah, if you're listening, obviously... We're open for business. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I think we had a question over here, and then there was another one over there somewhere at the back. Yeah. Hi. Hi, you all right? I'm good, um, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, good. Sorry for being late. Um, you're really comfortable in your own skin. Thank you. It's beautiful to see. Um, what would you say to yourself, uh, if you could, knowing everything you know now, going back to like year 11, last Ooh. day of secondary school? Oh, last day of secondary school was so peak. Year 11, oh my days. So for those who don't know, year 11 is when you're 16. Um, and when I was 16, 
people didn't really rate me, you know? Like, you know when people sign your shirt? My shirt had so many gaps on it, like there wasn't enough people signing it. I was like, wow, I'm really not popular like that, you know? This is all a bit mad. Um, and so it made me feel like I'm not seen and people don't really like me that much. And now I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life trying to be liked. But if I could go back to 16-year-old me who's in year 11 and it's last day of school, what I'll tell her is prepare yourself to be disliked even more because anybody who is trying to chase a true version of their self is very dislikable. Because it means that you're constantly going against the grain. It means that you're willing to disappoint people. It means that you are always ready to challenge things. And sometimes ain't no one got time for that. But you need to give yourself time for that. And so I'm really glad that I've grown into the person that 16-year-old me would have needed, but I still wish that at 16, I was able to understand that being liked is actually not even that important. In fact, it's not even important. And the reason why it's not important to be liked is because people like things according to, often, people often like things according to what the world tells them to like. But also, when it comes to things like standards and what the world currently likes at the moment, it's constantly shifting and changing. So if you are making it your aim to be liked, it means you're never actually going to be yourself because you're constantly morphing and twisting yourself into ideas of people who don't even love themselves enough either. And I think also the danger of being liked is that people can change their minds whenever they want to. In the same way when you get a new toy and you're like, oh my God, I'm so enthralled by this toy, I want to play with it forever. And then you get bored of it after two weeks and then you just drop it and it just never sees the light of day again. People do that with, pe with human beings and for me, I don't really think there's much value in being liked. I think there's more value in being respected because there are loads of people in the world who, for whatever reason, I don't really like them. And that's something that I've got to find time to go and unpack and identify in my own time. But I still respect the fact that they've placed themselves where they are in the world. And that can only have come from hard work and an ability to connect with themselves. So it's not something I can knock. And that's why I think being respected is more important than being liked. Because being liked is so temporary and I don't know, I'd rather someone, instead of someone saying they like me, I'd rather someone says that they, you know, they see, they see a wonder in me that they're able to see in themselves. And that holds more value because if people like you, sometimes it's because it's what they, they think they need to like. But if people are able to honor the wonder in you, it's because they see it in themselves. So it already means that you're dealing with someone who knows themselves enough to know why they appreciate you in their life. And that holds way more value than people who don't even know why they like what they like. They just like it because they think they're meant to like it. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have one more question over there. While that's making its way around the mic, uh, Ryan's got an amazing podcast called For The Creators, which he co-hosts. Um, I did an interview with him, which is the, the latest episode, is it latest still? Episode. It's a two-part. It's really good. He asked me that question at the end, which is why I was giggling when he was asking. <laughs> so I knew it was coming. Um, and my answer was just simple. It was like, just everything will be cool, everything will work itself out, mm -hmm. everything will be fine, like don't worry too much about what's happening, what's coming. Do you like, tell yourself that now? It will come, yeah. Do you Still believe do. it when you yeah. tell yourself that? Genuinely, just, just ride the wave because yeah. at the end of the day, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Like, the Still. worst that can happen is that you die, but then even if you die, you have peace. <laughs> no, but honestly, death is, not even, death is actually not even that bad if you think about it, because it's gonna happen anyway. Exactly. Right. And you can't control it, so it's just mm -hmm. like, you must just stop worrying about what's to come, because you don't even know what's going to come. Mm -hmm. you know? Might as well just enjoy mm -hmm. this moment, which, which I am, it's cool. Um, so one last question, which was at the back. I can't actually see. Hi, Ab. Oh, hey. Hi. Um, hi. Hi, I'm Mackie. 
Um, my question is, you um, had a discussion about be, um, parents being themselves and stuff like that. I just wanted to ask a question of how to communicate to them, especially when you're going through like a huge change in your life, such as feeling uni and like your identity or the idea of you has changed and you have like a new direction in your life that mm -hmm. hasn't quite formed and maybe there's a way to like communicate to them and tell them that it's going to be okay, especially when they have like traditional views and stuff mm -hmm. like that. For me, that's the current um, battle I'm facing with my own mum where she doesn't want to understand that outside of her, I'm still my own person, which means I don't need to seek her permission anymore to be myself. Um, also, I think what is important to understand is that this conversation is coming from a desire to be understood. But you find that the person you want to understand you barely even understands themselves. So that means that if you want them to be able to see that you're this multifaceted person who's going to be able to go out into the world and create a life for yourself based on these ambitions and desires that don't yet have form but can take form because you're able to create that by yourself, they're not going to be able to understand that because they have no concept of that in their own life. They have probably lived a life where they've done things that are seen as quite safe. They've only lived a life where they've never really tried to you know, leap onto the other side and see what fear looks like. They just do the things that everyone else has told them, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is how you're meant to live a happy life. And so instead of them being happy, they're just content with it not being terrible. And, but also you find that they're quite scared of <laughs> that possibility, because they don't think it's possible. For me, how I'm dealing with it with my own mom is understanding that it's no longer my job to try to like talk things through with her. It's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna work by trying to talk things through with a parent or a person in your life who's significant that isn't trying to display an ability to be, co to be committed to understanding you. It's just not gonna work. So what I'm learning to do now is create healthy distance and create very ample boundaries because sometimes parents see boundaries as an insult and that's quite terrifying if you know, they don't respect that you're a person who needs their own space because again, it means they don't see you as a full human being, they see you as an extension of their self, like a limb almost, a limb that thinks sometimes. Literally, it's how my I feel like my parents view me. And so what, how I set those boundaries is that I no longer um, express to them when they do something that hurts me because I know that it's only going to end up in a fight where they just tell me that I'm being disrespectful because I'm, because I'm articulate, so it means I'm disrespectful. And mm -hmm. um, you know that one all too well. Um, another one as well is that I'm just learning to understand that when it comes to a relationship between two people or any group of people, it requires every single person to make sure that they include their own involvement and recognize that they have a, a part to play. So as the child in this dynamic, it's not your job or responsibility to uphold this relationship. The parent has also got to recognize the role that they play and try to maintain a relationship that works and that requires them to be accountable and honest. And that's something that they're not probably gonna do and it's not, I, I I'm realizing that it's actually not by force for me to try to have this relationship in my mind that I want to have with my parent. What I have to do is put my wellness first and do the things for me that will make me feel safe and seen and heard. And hopefully if they love me enough, they'll be able to adapt to it. And by that point, I won't even, I won't even be so bent on wanting their apologies anymore. I'll be able to understand that they are the way they are because they're damaged and 
as long as they are letting me, they're leaving me with room to be myself and not trying to um, rip through my boundaries, then they can be where they are in the corner and I will love them from a very healthy distance, but I will, I will always love them with boundaries because love needs conditions. You can't just unconditionally love your parents because that comes at the expense of yourself and unconditionally loving your parents sometimes looks like letting them stand on you and letting them tell you that you're less of a person than them and so it means you're going to constantly live in your life you're going to constantly live your life trying to be a version of yourself that they want because that's that's what's in their mind and that's what they've been told that they should want but really they don't even know why they want it so why would i want to be something for someone who isn't hasn't even actually been able to assess thoroughly why they want it I'm not even sure if they truly want it or if it's because they want to prove something to someone else. And I'm not going to be a part of that. It's not my job to, you know, complete my parents' story. It's not my job to make them look good. I'm my own person. And as long as I'm living with true intention and I'm looking after myself properly and I'm not being an absolute prick, then it's not my job anymore to be a version of myself that they want me to be because... They have their own lives to live. I have mine to live. And if me being my true self comes at the cost of this romantic relationship I have in my mind of my, me and my parents just being so loving, well, I'm ready to sacrifice that because I need to be myself. I need to live my truth. And I don't want to be in a situation where I'm like 50 years old and by that point my parents probably aren't around anymore because of old age. And I'm looking at my life and I'm just thinking, I wish I was more true to myself back when I had more time and I was more physically able to be because what has it done for me now that I'm much older and my parents aren't around to control me anymore and I no longer have access to the resources that will allow me to be my true self because I spent too much time letting them lead me out of fear rather than me realizing that this is my life and if they love me enough, if they love me enough, they'll try to adapt and make room to be involved in it. Thank you. So we've only got a couple minutes left, so I've got two final questions. Cool. Uh, so first one is, what one piece of advice do you want everyone in this room to walk away with tonight? Um, I think I just want everyone to remember that nothing anybody ever ultimately does is because of you. Like, if I come across really antisocial, it's because I've been up since like 6 a.m., so it doesn't mean that I don't want to know you or that I don't want to... I don't want to speak to you. In the same way, if someone is, you know, trying to be extra argumentative on the internet, it's not because it's not because you're a terrible person. It's because they get to vicariously live through the feeling of being right, because it makes them feel like that little thing in their life means that something is going well for them, and that's not your battle to fight. So I think when you're able to separate yourself from how people treat you or respond to you and realise that you're not the biggest problem in someone's life and that they're fighting a demon that is humongous and that you only contribute ever so, ever so tinily, tinily, tinily is a word now. You, you only contribute ever so tiny, all words are made up. You only contribute ever so tinily to this friction and tension they're feeling in their life that it's actually not even your responsibility to worry about how they view you because people are going to decide whether you're a good person or a bad person and it's not your job to try and influence that decision because you could literally be you know your version of what you think is you know 
a bad a bad type of you or you're having a terrible day and you meet someone and they still think you're really really awesome because they decided that they, they see the goodness in you in the same way you could be you know vibrant and wake up on the right side of the bed and you're feeling really positive and you're letting out all these confident vibes and you meet someone and for some reason they don't like you that's nothing to do with you and so I'm learning every day that it's not my job to try to convince people that I'm a nice person all I can do is move with truth and intention and if that person is doing the same, then they'll be able to recognize that in me. And if someone dislikes me, then one, they've lost out on an opportunity to know an incredible person. And two, it's just a reflection of where they are in life. And it's something that allows me to see what their own value system looks like. And it's not my job to try to win them over because you never have to win over what's meant for you. Thank you. And then finally, I think I asked you this last time, but I can't actually remember. Um, I did listen back to our this podcast is produced by Unedited. What is your ultimate happiness goal? Oh, my ultimate happiness goal is, I think, being able to observe myself and not feel like, and not feel, and not feel like I have to only focus on the things that I've done wrong. So for me, I think joy is the ability to recognize that all the bad decisions that I've made have allowed me to arrive at this point and that I need to honor the fact that if I want to grow into a higher version of myself, then I need to be willing to welcome situations that I'm not sure of and I need to trust that regardless of the outcome, that there will be a lesson in it, and that lesson will be what will lead me to this person that I deserve to be. And that joy comes from believing that I'm deserving of self-forgiveness. And so I guess my happy place is me not feeling like a terrible person, and instead me feeling like I've done my best in a world that has been designed for me to be terrible, and I still managed to come out on the other side not being an absolute wanker. And I think that's really, really wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then before we do wrap up, can you let everyone know where they can find you online and also where they can get the book slash books if they want to? You can find me on the internet at the Salama Flower, all one word. Um, in terms of my books, they're available in Waterstones or Foils or any good bookstore. Or if you're lazy and don't want to leave your house or you're feeling unsocial. Amazon is always a good idea. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for being here. Thank Appreciate you for having time. me. Thank you, everyone who came. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, my name's Alex Manzi. This has been Dreams Disease Live. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast because there's more amazing conversations like this one. Um, we're very interesting people doing amazing things out in the world so I would really appreciate it and you've all got a Wi-Fi now so there's no reason why you can't do that <laughs> before you leave and I'm checking your phones at the door um, <laughs> but I do appreciate it from everyone I know you've taken time out of your Thursday evening and you've paid for tickets and everything to come and see us talk so appreciate it so much big thank you to London Podcast Festival to Unedited guys because they're bossing it all the time and yeah to you guys thank you <laughs>
So there we have it, guys. That was the live interview I did with Chadira, aka the Slumflower, at the London Podcast Festival just a few weeks ago, actually. You know, I just want to thank everyone who came down. And if you didn't make it, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast because I know there were so many of you who were hitting me up and you were guided you can make it. So I'm glad that I got to give you this audio and you could hear what went down on the night. And I love this chat because, you know, there were so many things that Chadira spoke about that was just so inspiring. And you could hear in the way the audience reacted to her and clapping and not me. Um, which was quite funny and you know the way she spoke about the parents and 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 that kind of whole situation scenario and the way parents have sort of raised us in this kind of world that they're kind of used to but the world has changed over the years and it was very very interesting to hear her point of view on that and also the the fact of taking ownership of yourself and your thoughts and your actions and the kind of impact that has on your life so you know, there's lots in there that I learned on the night and I hope that you guys learned listening back today. So be sure to hit me up if you've got any questions or you want to hear more or, you know, you just want to chat, then hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at IamAlexManzi. And most importantly, make sure you go out there and chase your dreams. This podcast is produced by Unedited.